Welcome back, everyone. This is Jeffrey M. Roach, and I'm excited to be here with you as we add up health up and transform healthcare through innovative education and workforce solutions. Our healthcare system is facing global workforce crises at all levels and roles. The solution to this challenge requires an ecosystem approach, bringing together healthcare, higher education, and workforce development in a manner that develops new pathways to careers, refining academic programs to ensure they meet the healthcare industry needs, and embracing certificates and certifications as a vital part of the solution. Today, we are joined by Joy Dahl, Vice President, Community Programs for Sync Health. In this role, Joy supports the growth of the social determinants of health ecosystem, growing community-based initiatives to, to connect healthcare to social care. Prior to joining Sync Health, Joy served as the inaugural Executive Director for establishing the Center for Interprofessional Education and Research, where she was engaged with CHI Health to develop, establish, and study an interprofessional clinical learning environment. She was the Vice Chair of the Department of Occupational Therapy in the School of Pharmacy and Health Professions at Crichton University. During her time at Crichton University, Joy was also the Director of a Post-Professional OTD Program where she was responsible for recruitment and retention of students, managing student issues, and maintaining program excellence. Currently, Joy is still an associate clinical professor of occupational therapy at Creighton University. Joy, it is so good to see you and obviously appreciate all the work that you do in, in both healthcare and education. And we're really honored to have you with us here today. And we just ask if you don't mind, just to take a little bit uh, kind of further and just introduce the work that you do and, and, and share a little bit more with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's always exciting to kind of intersect all the things I'm passionate about, which is workforce development, healthcare, and, and higher education. And I've really been lucky to work in all those elements. I am an occupational therapist by clinical training, and but I haven't followed the path of a traditional clinician. So I think a lot about workforce development because I myself have had to level up in a lot of ways to be able to go into non-traditional environments and have key conversations. So uh, my career has taken some really fun and interesting uh, curves. And so the things that you did before come back up. And I think a lot about workforce development when we were working on interprofessional education and collaborative practice. And now I'm really thinking about it for, from a social care perspective. How do we you know, really level up our care coordinators and our social workers to really get involved and connect healthcare and social care? How do we train community health workers in their role around social care? And then there's the whole element of how do we create a more data-informed workforce so that as technology and artificial intelligence and you know, APIs and things get connected, people have an understanding. I just led our first electronic health record integration of healthcare and social care in the state. And it was really interesting because a lot of the clinicians were hesitant to be on the technical calls. And then without their input, they didn't get to drive where the integration was placed in the electronic health record, and they freely admitted in the post-debrief they were intimidated. And I was really encouraging them to say, you really need your clinical input. It's okay if you don't know all the words being said on the call. Your input matters because that's going to affect the clinical workflow. So I see the intersection and the need to have those conversations all the time. You know, that's really insightful. And uh you know, I didn't necessarily think that's one of the things you'd share uh, based on that work. But, you know, I want to start there, you know, and dive a little bit deeper into that, because when we think about clinical workflows and we think about EMRs, uh, as well as all different technologies that are introduced into healthcare, you know, you as a clinician uh, have firsthand understanding of a lot of these things. And now you've also 
um, you know, been privileged to roll it out across an entire state. Can you talk a little bit about why you feel it's so important that as we roll out new technologies in healthcare, that you get the input and engagement from uh, the staff on the front lines, clinical and sometimes even non-clinical, who may be supporting the clinical team? Um, because we hear that still to the, today, one of the biggest issues of burnout and frustration is actually we have this technology, we've never been engaged in the selection of it, and now we're expected to do it, and it takes away uh, time from all the other work that we have to do. Yeah, I think that's great. I really firmly believe that we should have broad teams involved in clinical workflows and designing them. When we designed University Campus, we included everyone in the design and workflows and setting the culture and you know everyone from the front desk staff. And we our motto is everyone teaches, everyone learns, that people at the front desk have as much to teach us as those that were working behind the scenes or in the pharmacy. And that's a really critical way to kind of democratize and leverage the voice. And I think it also comes back to that concept by Dr. Amy Edmondson out of Harvard about psychological safety. Do you create the culture where people feel like they can feed in? I mean, this example of the EHR integration, the person didn't feel comfortable or valued, but yet their input was incredibly important. So we got to set the tone for that and have those conversations. It's challenging because in healthcare, it seems like a, what people label as a soft skill or things that we shouldn't spend time on. But that upfront investment and that co-creation and that buy-in, I mean, all of it's human factors, right? Technology doesn't work unless people use it. So we're really not doing anyone any favors. And, and maybe that has led to some of the burnout crisis that we haven't asked people, how does this work for you? And how do you envision it? That's what we spend our time doing as a team here. We call ourselves solution-oriented. And that's what we're focused on. There is not one way to implement healthcare and social care or care coordination. There are 50 million ways and it should be adaptable because we're talking about equity here, it shouldn't be the same. And so how do we help empower our clinicians to work with us to give us that feedback? And I see that all the time too, where the leadership has chosen something without you know, taking the feedback. And then it's much more challenging to operationalize and it has nothing to do with the ease of the technology or <laughs> it's all about the human experience. And so just like we work with patients, if we don't think about their motivation and their behavior change, people generally know what they need to do to be healthy. That's not the barrier, right? And so it's those structural things and technology can create a lot of structural barriers for people. So obviously uh, you are still also a professor, but you've been in the academic uh, circles for, for quite a while. Uh, with a lot of impact on students, but also in research and, and such. But I'm curious because, you know, there are there are some individuals in healthcare who will actually point to academia and say, you know, we need to do a better job of, of teaching students on how to be resilient. Um, and if they are more resilient, they won't, won't get burnt out. I'm curious to get your thoughts on that because I obviously have mine. Um, but being someone, you know, that is clinical yourself, I'm just curious to get your thoughts. I do think it is important to try to have a growth mindset. But I also don't think pe people have the same lived experience. So some people are going to be inherently more resilient because they've had, you know, as a child moved around, didn't have control, right? So I can like go up and talk to strangers because I had to, right? So that was a skill built through life experience. I think it's very unfair to expect that higher education can transform that without and that we're not fully formed when we graduate from a program, right? That's the beginning of the journey, you know? So 
I think it's really important to build that resilience. I think coaching and leadership training are really critical. I just uh, have a very good friend who's the COO at one of our local hospitals and was talking about some of the challenges and said, you know, we just don't provide leadership training to people and we put them in these leadership positions and then we penalize them when they're not successful. And so, uh, you know, really it should be a lifelong learning approach and a different perspectives and thinking about how we continually develop people. As you pointed out, certificates and other things, uh, you know, through our connection, I got a mini MBA, which, you know, really helped me level up my skills because I was feeling gaps. And when you're fearful or feel intimidated, you don't speak up because you think I don't understand this, but you might have a perspective that's valuable. So there's no way we can teach everybody in higher ed everything you need to know. Uh, I do think there are lots of important efforts. And one of the things that was really important to me when I worked at Creighton was that we could not just teach teamwork in a classroom or they needed to see a lived clinical experience, which is why we invested so much in the healthcare workforce training. Because if I do all this training in higher ed and then I send learners out into environments where none of that is reinforced, I've, it's a moot point, right? Like I've wasted all my energy and time. And if they're not empowered to change the system, they'll just adapt to the behaviors of the, their environment, which is a very normal human experience. So that's why it was so important that when we talked about training, we trained everyone, students, clinicians, leaders, front desk folks, everybody, because wow. we're all in it together, you know? Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, and I, and I appreciate how you approach that because, you know, to your earlier point, I mean, you brought up psychological safety early on and, and that's so critical and um, you can't talk about well-being, uh, you can't talk about burnout, you can't talk about resiliency, any of these topics without also talking about psychological safety. And so uh, whether you're a student or you're currently working in healthcare, it's critical to have psychological safety in every, in every environment. Um, your, you know, your work, though, uh, has also been uh, significantly around social determinants of health. And what's interesting is that uh, people generally, when they think of social determinants, they immediately think of healthcare but they don't always think about all the other elements. And I want to give you an opportunity to talk about in the work that you've done, you know, why is it so important to think about SDOH, particularly as we think about bringing more equity, not just into society, but also into the workforce? Um, because organizations all talk about wanting to diversify the workforce uh, generally, but, but you got to also have more equity in education uh, to really create more equity in the workforce. And I just want to ask you if you can kind of share your thoughts and, and experience as it relates to that. Yeah. So social determinants of health are obviously incredibly complex. And we know that people that don't have, have their health care needs that are more complex usually have social needs. And, you know, working early in my career on a reservation and learning culturally appropriate practices and learning that people would go to sweats and different things taught me early on that I needed to really be open to health from a broad perspective or else I would not be able to promote equity. And so, and I saw so much healthcare and people's management of their lives really happening in the community. And I was really a small piece. I mean, way before we were showing, oh, it's 20% or 80% um, versus healthcare versus social care. One way I think is really that we've really thought about is systems have different resources. So in healthcare, for example, language services are, you know, not ideal, but they're typically provided. When we first started working in this community-based side, we saw so many rejections of referrals due to language access issues. And so we were like, oh my gosh, look at this huge discrepancy in this service provided here, but not in the community. 
And so now we have all these people with identified needs that no one can serve. So how do we start to bridge that and have a conversation? So part of why we are in a, in a complex cross-sector partnership approach, which makes them a little more messy and complex, but we work closely with our, uh, we have a navigator at 211. And part of why we did that is they have access to a language line and we've, and we've actually reduced rejections based on language access. Because what we do is when the rejection occurs, we monitor the referrals, we reach out and we say, hey, we've built this community resource and we've done this on purpose. Now you can serve a new group of people. You can start to uh, you know, think about that. And certainly that doesn't bridge the cultural appropriateness necessarily, but it does start to expand that. The other thing where I think is a real important aspect of workforce development around social terms or social drivers is how people start to understand their data in the community. We just taught a community-based organization to look at their referrals and their rejections were where they had run out of funds. And they were like, oh my goodness, we can go to our board now and say, hey, look, we need more funding in this bucket for next year because we now have the, the data to tell us the story around what the needs are. We also recently had a nonprofit that closed its doors and it was a big partner for um, asthma prevention has some house abatement in our community. And one of the health systems said, if we didn't know when they were struggling, we would have provided them resources. And so how do we start to have some of those conversations and connect and look at the data to be able to make really informed decisions about where we do resource allocation, where we do workforce development, uh, and how do we start to, again, drive some of those conversations and start to look for solutions because we're not gonna solve it alone we have to work together. The uh, I, I'm curious, as part of that, if you could talk a little bit further about the work that you've done with the Nebraska Healthcare Collaborative. And I know you also um, have uh, significant participation from Iowa, because it's, it's a really intriguing uh, initiative. And as I understand it, um, you know, not only are you bridging the gap between data uh, and healthcare, but there's an ecosystem perspective to it as well, because I know there's a focus on the workforce. Um, and so I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about the work that's occurring there, you know, some of the learnings, uh, two very different states. I mean, yes, there's some similarities, but I'm sure there's nuances. Um, anything you think that might be poignant from what you've learned from that work? Yeah, uh, so the Nebraska Healthcare Collaborative was set up to really start to accept data requests and do workforce development around a data-informed workforce. And when I came over to the organization, I came because I had a really big passion for using electronic health record data to inform the work that we did. And so the opportunity to work with people on that. I was really actually shocked by how data uninformed people were. <laughs> Even people with really high levels of education, I mean, PhDs, not understanding data standards or what's not open source or understanding the rules around what can be shared. And it really made me step back to think about how we have these conversations or think about what we can do to help educate the community that we have a data literacy responsibility. And it's not just for people that are students or that are community health workers. I mean, we're talking healthcare administrators, leaders that are making decisions. Uh, how do they understand what data should be shared, where there's consent, uh, what should be open source? How do you match data? Uh, you know, and I was 
certainly novice to it, you know, but I'd had some experience. And when we started getting our initial data requests from both researchers and academics, both in Iowa and Nebraska, very few people brought in a data request that was viable. So they were either requesting data that didn't exist, or maybe they hadn't thought about, okay, they wanted to know how many people were deceased of something. Well, the reality is what people get recorded as deceased of is probably not what they were entered for the hospital for, just a really big lack of understanding. And so one of the things that I started to do was really talk to the academic partners about, we need to have learners practicing data requests. Uh, looking at the other thing I really built out uh, in a course I'm working on is, how do you analyze a dashboard and look at where the data elements come from? How is that put together? How do you critique that? How do we look at risk factor scores um, and start to critique where the data is coming from? Are they really helpful? And what decisions are being made? That we have a strong ethical obligation to understand not only the data, but where is it coming from? Do we really understand it? Is it presented in a way that people understand? We did some community work in the collaborative early on and people didn't understand the difference between a zip code and a census tract. And so, it was very hard for them to make a decision about what kind of project because they got stuck on what's a census tract versus zip code, which is a valid question. So when we're thinking about presenting the data or collecting it or where it comes from and how few people actually know the data infrastructure around where their health data goes from a patient perspective, you know, when there are cyber attacks and there is no backup, if they don't have a good statewide health information exchange, you know, what is the solution and what rights do people have around their data? Uh, the information blocking rule that came into effect that allows people to have access to their own information and they're the data owner. And does that start to extend to social care data? And what happens when it starts to go in electronic health record? I, I wrestle around with things like, if you're Z-coded as homeless, should that stay in your health record? It's different than being diabetic, right? Now I see both sides, but I think we have a lot of, of decisions. So what really shocked me was how little data knowledge most people had, and even people that I would perceive having a lot, and that people need coaching. And I don't think it's a service that's provided a lot of places to help people get from an idea to a viable project with data. When you look at the work, though, of the collaborative in addition, though, um, you know, so much of Nebraska, so much of Iowa are very rural. Um, from a workforce perspective, you know, obviously you have payers, you have providers, you have public health. Um, there's probably other ecosystem members that you have involved that I'm not, you know, noticing necessarily right away. What are you hearing from a workforce perspective uh, at all levels? And what's the collaborative doing, you know, to support that? Yeah, well, one, shortages. <laughs> really hard time with recruitment and retention, uh, especially in the rural areas. And so you find, I work with a lot of people, especially from the social care perspective, where they're the discharge and the social worker and the, you know, helping people um, versus we are more urban hospital that we just worked with for the EHR. They have a hundred care coordinators. So resourcing and, and helping people. So I think you do have different workforce needs in rural areas than in, in urban areas. And so we're thinking a lot about that with the different universities around what kind of projects they should do, where they should focus their resources. Uh, you know, we quickly um, 
we in two years we had almost 50 students do data projects or experiences with us and it was across Nebraska and Iowa because the other challenge that is actually getting access to data to do a project to help inform the workforce because data rightfully showed should be highly protected and industry partners are hard to find few in between so I think the collaborative really filled a gap that just wasn't didn't exist for people in other areas to have a chance to work and I mean, I worked with one data science student who asked me why there were less people discharged than there were admitted to the hospital. And I had to explain that people die. And so I thought, oh my gosh, this pure data scientist lacks so much healthcare context. And then you think about the healthcare folks that lack the IT context. How do we start to build teams around that? And that's, I really now say your health IT folks should be part of your interprofessional team because they need to help you make the right decisions around technology and utilization and training and all of those things. No, I appreciate you sharing that because I think oftentimes um, rural parts of America, people don't necessarily think about the distinct challenges and needs uh, from a workforce perspective. And, and when you have a shortage, what that means, because it's very different when you're in an urban facility and you have, uh, you know, a significantly more uh, larger number uh, in a rural you know, facility, that may mean you don't run that service at all. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't have that access. Uh, we know that's very real. And I don't think people always fully understand and appreciate the challenges that that bring uh, from an equity standpoint, but also from a quality standpoint, from a patient safety standpoint, um, et cetera. I'm curious, though, too, in the collaborative, being that it's had some results around the data, um, and maybe this isn't the scope, but are, have there also been um, results around clinical experiences? Because one of the bigger challenges too that we're seeing across the country is you can't get some of our future clinicians in to do clinical experiences because of some of these shortage and some of these challenges as well. Is there anything occurring within Nebraska where you're seeing you know some results in that end? Yeah, well, I think honestly, where we can fill some gap around is providing some of that health informatics experience. And that is a gap. People can't find places to go learn that, right? Um, and it's great to learn it in your own system, but that's one system. And if you don't plan to stay in that system, I mean, EHRs vary so widely. So it's good to see a holistic perspective. So I think that's certainly true and a gap that we can continue to fill. Uh, we we decided to take less students, but they keep coming. <laughs> and so it's really exciting that there is such a demand for working for the students. And we see a lot of benefit to our organization from partnering with students. They're helping us do some work. We had a medical student that came and helped us audit all of our uh, organizations in the social care platform as a quality improvement project. And that was work that would have taken us months to get done. So you know, as long as they're structured in a way that there's a win-win for both the learner and the organization, I'm all for that. Of course, I have the bias of loving to develop people that are passionate, but I thought how wonderful for a medical student to really want to understand the ecosystem behind the work that he's going to deliver as a family medicine practitioner of what, what has to occur to make, help him meet the needs of his client. And, you know, when they leave with that understanding, you know, they're going to be, go out and be a different champion. Our pharmacy students that work on the prescription drug monitoring program are transformed in their understanding. And they domino that to all of their colleagues of the experience of why it's important to understand data and where it comes from in the health IT infrastructure. And I don't think unless you have a lived experience like that, you probably would, would feel that way. Yeah. 
Well, and what you're speaking to, too, is true, authentic, intentional, experiential learning, which then we know prepares them for, for so much more when they're actually, you know, working in that full-time role. So, um, you know, obviously, we're, we're getting closer to time. And so I just want to ask you uh, a little bit, if you, you don't mind, just to share a little bit how people can connect with you and learn more about the collaborative. I mean, you know, there's something to be said about these collaboratives when they're, when in the, in the way that you brought them together. Um, you know, I'm sure other states and others as they listen to this are going to think, wow, I'd love to know how I do that. Yeah, so uh, people can find me on LinkedIn. You also can find us on SyncHealth.org. Uh, Dr. P Laura Peterson McKenda leads our collaborative now. I've stepped more into the social care realm, and she'd be a great resource to talk to. I'm happy to connect you with her. And then also, I'm happy to talk to anyone about social care and social drivers of health. It is such a building new ecosystem. I love to visit with people and brainstorm ideas and, and do some thought leadership around what challenges they're experiencing because we, we're all in a learning community. And obviously, if it was easy to solve these problems, they would be solved already. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to talk to anybody that wants to connect around these issues. Joy, sure, obviously, you have a strong understanding of how workforce development um, also connects uh, so well with this. And when we talk about you know, that ecosystem of workforce development, higher education, healthcare, uh, et cetera. I'm curious if you can share with us what, what you think needs to help, or excuse me, what needs to happen. Um, you know, we're, we're dealing with, as, as we started, uh, probably with one of the most challenging times uh, in our history from a healthcare workforce perspective. Um, certainly a, a significant challenge on the supply side, um, but also a significant challenge of, of the current workforce just leaving. Uh, or indicating they're planning to leave uh, in very large, uh, you know, numbers. Uh, and we're seeing this every day when we talk to different healthcare systems. Um, and we also know it's true in the public health space as well, where we've seen more people leave uh, than actually come in. Now, there's some encouraging there, and we've seen public health enrollment go up um, in many programs, but still not necessarily at, a, at the numbers we need. But nursing, uh, other allied health, other, uh, you know, care programs, not necessarily uh, seeing that increase. I'm curious, what, you, what do you think needs to happen there uh, to change that trajectory? Because we're, we're really heading to a pretty challenging point. Yeah, well, I think I'm encouraged in our community, there are career pathways at the high school level. Uh, you know, my daughter actually is 11 and wants to be an aerospace engineer. And she showed me her plan yesterday of when she's 24, she'll be starting her PhD and what she'll do. And that's much different than when I was young as far as that. I think we also have to have scholarship and funding and affordable higher education for people to access. And then it's a lifelong learning process. One of the things that really bothers me is when people call me a non-clinician or non-traditional, just because I've chosen to go a different path, I'm a clinician every day, that's my identity. And you know, it's not diminished because I'm not providing direct patient care in the way that and, but there's also not diminishment in being that direct patient care provider. So we should honor everyone's roles and journey. You know, sometimes we, uh, I, we actually I really love an article by Dr. Peter Kahn, and it's the seven dirty words that destroy collaboration. And sometimes the way we talk to each other about each other's roles or the way actually really destroys and, and doesn't allow us to listen to that experience. And so we have to listen to younger people. What do you need from us? What is gonna help you to be successful? Not, and it's gonna be different, right? They come from a different perspective, a different experience. But I do think there are efforts to plan 
uh, even in my daughter's school, they do an activity where there's problems and there's no right answer. And I think that's a great thing of every day I work with things where there isn't a right answer. There's 50 potential solutions. So how do we start to present, as you mentioned, those more authentic experiences and get people away from there's one right answer or you can do it yourself. It's going to be team-based skill and it's going to be the right care at the right time. And we've just got to start to pivot into that, that mentality where there aren't going to be an easy answer and that's okay. We've got to be okay in that discomfort. Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that. And obviously, you know, appreciate all the work that you've done, uh, not just in Nebraska, but across uh, so much of, the, of that region uh, around social determinants and bringing healthcare and social care together and certainly with the collaborative as well. Um, I want to thank you, Joy, for, you know, for joining us here on EdUp Health Up. And I want to encourage all of our listeners to reach out to Joy. There's a lot uh, that she can share with you as it relates to social determinants or social drivers. Um, certainly the, the work of the collaborative, um, but also someone who's understood and, and as she started out with the passion uh, that she has around workforce, healthcare, uh, and higher education uh, as a clinician, but also as a thought leader in, in this space. So Joy, thank you again. And uh, for all of our listeners, remember, uh, we're always happy here to engage with you on EdUp Health Up as we continue to have conversations around transforming healthcare uh, with a focus on innovative education and workforce solutions. Uh, we'll, we will sign off for, for this episode, but look forward to a future one and, and thank our listeners for all their participation as well. Take care.